You are listening to the Amateur Church Podcast, where we pursue excellence in ministry with the right motivation for the sake of love. I'm Pastor Matt, and I'm so thankful that you're on this disciple's journey with me. The Amateur Church Podcast is a call for anyone who is tired of church being a programmed organization. You see, I want to be an amateur, at least in the sense that how I lead, preach, and serve is based on love. That's what the word amateur means, to do something because you love it. So remember, this is not a push to become lazy or unskilled in our abilities, but in fact, I believe that when churches get back to being amateurs, loving Christ and loving others, we will actually see a greater excellence in our lifestyles. So thank you for joining me in rejecting a professional Christianity that seeks our own glory and rediscovering a passion for Christ and His church. This week, we're reading through the first of the minor prophets, Hosea, Joel, and Amos. Now, the minor prophets, uh, there are 12 of them, and they're actually called the Book of the Twelve. And so I want to take some time today and walk us through theological truths based on Hosea, Joel, and Amos, get an overview of those passages. Again, we're not going to be able to study every single verse and look at every single uh, theological truth or, or aspect of each book in this short week, but we do want to see today theology, then tomorrow uh, look at devotion questions, and then apologetics and evangelism based on these passages. So let's jump right in. We've got three books to kind of cover, give you a quick overview of. And the first one is Hosea, one of my favorite minor prophets, Hosea. And uh, so let's talk about the man real quick. His ministry began during the reign of Uzziah, and you may be familiar with that name. Uh, Uzziah was king of Judah. And during the ministry, during the reign of Jeroboam II in Israel, this was during the late 8th century, so the 700s BC, and uh, and so that's when it began. It extended all the way into the reign of Hezekiah, who reigned from 716 to 686 BC. So uh, during it was a large time, mainly during a uh, time of peace uh, for the divided kingdom. However, we know that in the late uh, 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 8th century, 722 BC, that Assyria would come into the northern kingdom. So he's preaching mainly to the northern kingdom of Israel, preparing them for that threat of war. But there are references in Hosea to the southern kingdom of Judah. The book of Hosea is very interesting because it uses a lot of metaphors. And I love metaphors in reading the Word of God because it shows really the characteristics of God and his uh, the characteristics of, of Israel, the nation, and their relationship. Uh, God's referred to as a ferocious lion about to tear apart its prey uh, in chapter 5, verse 14, and chapter 13, verses 7 and 8. But also he's referred to as a lioness roaring to call her cubs home in chapter 11, verses 10 through 11. So we see the judgment of God, but also the mercy and the compassion of God. Uh, his faithfulness, God's faithfulness, is described as seasonal rains in chapter 6, verse 3, as the nourishing dew in chapter 14, verse 5. But also, Israel's faithlessness is uh, described as a mist and a dew that flees away uh, under the scorching sun, chapter 6, verse 4. Uh, Israel is also described as sowing the wind and reaping the whirlwind. And so there's a lot of metaphors, but the greatest metaphor in the book of Hosea, uh, probably what Hosea is known for is the marriage of Hosea to Gomer, his wife, uh, the prostitute, uh, 
and a as a reflection of God's love uh, and relationship with Israel. In fact, God commands Hosea in chapter 1, verse 2. Uh, he says, Go take to yourself a wife of harlotry and have children of harlotry, for the land commits flagrant harlotry forsaking the Lord. And Hosea obeys. So he went and took Gomer, uh, and she conceived and bore him a son. And so you're going to see that uh, the structure of the book of Hosea from chapter 1 through 3 is very narrative. Uh, the, the drama unfolds. Uh, and then chapter 4 through 14, while it sticks with the narrative, we see a lot of discussions, reflections on the law and the history and covenant and God showing his relationship with Israel. It's interesting to me that uh, as God commands him to marry a promiscuous wife, uh, three children are born to him, and the names of the children are important. I want you to jot these down. I want you to think about this. We see this in chapter 1 specifically. But the names of the children reveal God's, uh, again, relationship with Israel. The One child, Jezreel, is born. And Jezreel means God will scatter. And that's exactly what he does with Israel. He scatters them as they're a divided nation. They're about to be overtaken by Assyria. And then the southern kingdom would actually be overtaken about 150 years later, uh, 140 years later uh, by Babylon. Uh, then you see another uh, child, Lo Ruamai. Uh, that means no compassion or not pitied, not loved. Uh, and, and so we see there's a time there where God's going to going to going to be harsh with them. And then lo ami or lo am I uh, is is uh, a word that simply means not my people. So consider that progression. Some have some scholars have even brought out that it might be that uh, all of these children were not necessarily biologically Hosea's. Uh, that uh, that he does marry this woman, Jezreel, more than likely is his child, but the other two, uh, not loved and not my people, are actually born of prostitution or born of uh, promiscuity. We're not sure about that. We don't know that. We don't have evidence. Uh, but we do see that uh, it's during this time uh, that Hosea suffers with his wife going off and committing adultery, uh, and God is hurt with his wife, Israel, going off and committing adultery and immorality. Uh, we also see the, uh, the, the, the mercy involved where God tells them to turn back to him and he provides that. Uh, there's a divine reversal. Listen to the words. Chapter 1, verse 8 says, When she had weaned Lo-Ruamai, she conceived and gave birth to a son. And the Lord said, Name him lo for you are not my people, and I am not your God. So there is first, God says, you're not my people, I am not your God. But now listen, uh, verse 10 says, yet the number of the sons of Israel will be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it is said to them, you are not my people, it will be said to them, you are the sons of the living God. And the sons of Judah and the sons of Israel will be gathered together. So remember the first name, God will scatter Jezreel. Now he says, you will be gathered together and they will appoint for themselves one leader and they will go up from the land for great will be the day of Jezreel. Israel, say to your brothers, Amy, and to your sisters, Ruamai. So notice the divine rever reversal. Lo means not or no. And he says, so lo Ruamai and lo Amy, not loved, not my people. And then he says in chapter 2, verse 1, say to your brothers, 
Amy, and Rumai. You are loved. You are my people. Do you see the divine reversal in that? Listen to verse 23. I will sow for her for myself in the land. I will also have compassion on her who had not obtained compassion. And I will say to those who were not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. What an amazing divine reversal, a beautiful picture of God rescuing his people. Uh, it, it's been said, Dr. Uh, Alan Fuhrer, uh, uh, a, a professor at Liberty University, uh, wrote a book called The Message of the Twelve. And in that, talking about the, the minor prophets, he states this about Hosea. He said, the book of Hosea strikes the reader as theologically intimate, providing deep insight into the heart of God. It shows the sin of idolatry, but the grace of God, his kessed faithful love. And that is what we see in the book of Hosea. Now, there's 14 chapters that I want you to walk through this week, but, but understand uh, it shows us theologically sin is, uh, is, is destruction. Sin leads to destruction, but God's grace, his divine grace leads to life. That leads us to our second book this week, Joel. And uh, Joel means Yahweh is God. And Joel takes place between 840 and 800 BC, so it's written earlier than Hosea. Uh, the theme is the day of the Lord. And this idea of the day of the Lord, uh, many uh, scholars have taken that to, to, to mean uh, in, in the day of Joel, in the day of, uh, of, uh, of the inter-testament uh, period. Some have called the day of the Lord uh, AD 70 with the destruction of Jerusalem. And some believe, and I'm in this camp, the day of the Lord has not taken place yet. Uh, but the book of Joel is a, is a book of warning. And I want to kind of break this up into two separate sections. Uh, the first is chapter 1 uh, through chapter 2, verse 27. And uh, this is where an alarm sounded for judgment on Judah, specifically written to this southern kingdom, Judah. And you get in chapter 1 the audience, and, and he's going to uh, talk about uh, locusts coming in to Judah. And some have said this is physical locusts that destroy the crops. Some say that this is uh, speaking of an army. Uh, I believe that the locusts speak of both, actually, that there's going to be famine in the land because of that. But I also do believe that there are crops, uh, uh, there are armies that come not just to destroy crops, but to destroy people. And so in this, it speaks of armies that will come one day. But the mystery is that it points to the tribulation. When you read Matthew 24, verse 21, Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, and Zephaniah 1, 15, you see the uh, the, the, the woes of the judgment uh, of God coming uh, for Israel. And so I do believe it had a context in that day for the, 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 the famine of the people and going into Babylon. But I also believe there's a future context. I, I think this is where you get dual prophecy here uh, of the great day of the Lord where judgment comes on Judah. Uh, but we also see alarm sound for the judgment of the nations. From chapter 2, verse 28, all the way to chapter 3, verse 17, you're going to read God's uh, 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 
calling out to the people. And we'll talk more uh, this week as we go through apologetically and evangelistically some of the truths of Joel. But you see that God is going to pour out judgment on the nations. Uh, one thing I love in this, though, is is uh, notice what actually is poured out in the in the passage. So in Acts chapter uh, or in Joel chapter two, verse twenty eight through thirty two, it's reminiscent of what we read in Acts chapter two, verses sixteen through twenty one. The first, the Spirit is poured out before that great day of the Lord. So if we think of the day of the Lord as the final judgment, the Spirit has been poured out. It was uh, He was poured out 2,000 years ago on the people once salvation came through Jesus Christ. And so God has given that act of mercy. Then judgment of nations is poured out on that day. Look at chapter 3, verse 1 says, For behold, in those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all the nations. So remember, God's already dealt with the nation, uh, uh, Judah and Israel, but this is a judgment on the nations that's poured out. And, uh, and all the way, he says uh, in verse uh, 14, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and moon grew dark. The stars lose their brightness. The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth tremble. But the Lord is a refuge for his people and a stronghold to the sons of Israel. And so he, uh, he he's pouring out his judgment on the nations that reject him. But then finally, blessings are poured out after that day. So the Spirit is poured out before the day. Judgment is poured out on the day. But listen, we have the truth of God's blessings poured out after the day. Listen to chapter 3, verse 18. And in that day, the mountains will drip with sweet wine. The hills will flow with milk. And all the brooks of Judah will flow with water. And a spring will go out from the house of the Lord to water the valley of Shechem. Egypt will become a waste, and Edom will become a desolate wilderness because of the violence done to the sons of Judah, in whose land they have shed innocent blood. But Judah will be inhabited forever, and Jerusalem for all generations. We see the promise of a blessing in the new heaven and the new earth. So Joel gives, yes, this warning, but a promise of the Spirit that would be poured out, and we get to experience that now. So, that is Hosea and Joel, and now we move to our third book, Amos. Amos means burden bearer. Now, if there was a particular prophet that was one of my favorites, it would be Amos, because Amos was a shepherd called to be a prophet. So he's got that pastoral instinct, and yet was not a prophet or a son of a prophet. He'll describe that until God called him. Uh, this date most likely is between 765 and 760 BC. Uh, so just about a, a span of about five years. And he's going to warn them of captivity and, and plead for repentance. So he starts off in Amos chapters 1 and 2, and he cries out against these nations. And he, he begins in chapter 1, and he talks about transgressions, this poetic uh, sense in which he says, uh, for three transgressions um, and and for four. So he'll he'll use a poetic uh, nature to to show how these nations surrounding Judah and Israel were guilty of of sin. And and he, he talks about Syria and their cruelty in war. He talks about Philistia and Phoenicia and their cruelty in slavery. Uh, he talks about Edom being guilty of hatred, Amnon being guilty of cruelty and greed, Moab being guilty of cruelty. 
But then he talks about Judah rejecting the law of God. And so Israel's listening to this. And, and, and of course, they kind of get could get a little arrogant and say, Syria, Philistia, Phoenicia, Edom, Amnon, Moab, and even our sister kingdom, Judah. God, get them. And all of a sudden, chapter 2, verse 6, God says, For three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke its punishment. And he he lays it into them from verse 6 to 16 of chapter 2. He says, You have rejected me as your God. You are selfish and self-indulgent. You've mistreated the poor. You have lacked justice for the poor. You have been greedy. And you have religious acts without true worship all the way through the book. Of, uh, of of Amos. Uh, th- this prophet is coming against the nation, the people of God, reminding them, yes, I can indict all the surrounding nations, but Israel, you truly are guilty. He talks about them in chapter 2, chapter 4, 5, 6, and chapter 8, laying out their sins. And there is a warning that they're going into captivity. But he calls out to them and says, I want you to repent. So we see the sin of Israel, but we also see the salvation of God. Chapter 7 through 9 lays out for us uh, different pictures, visions of judgment, devastation and destruction, but really a plea for uh, for repentance. We see the vision of locusts in chapter 7, verses 1 through 3, a vision of fire, chapter 7, 4 through 6, the plumb line, chapter 7, 7 through 10, summer fruit, chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, and the altar in chapter 9, verses 1 through 4. So five different pictures in which God is pleading for repentance. And if they repent, Notice what he says. Go to chapter 9, verse 11 with me. He says, In that day I will raise up the fallen booth of David and wall up its breaches, and I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. Behold, the days are coming. He says, I will restore the captivity of my people Israel. I will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. And then he says, and they will not again be rooted out from their land, which I have given them, says the Lord your God. I love this because exactly what he does in Hosea, exactly what he does in Joel, he does now in uh, in Amos. He gives a promise of victory and love if they will repent. And you and I are called to preach this same gospel, a gospel of the Old Testament that pointed to the Messiah who would come, this descendant of David, uh, from the booth of David, and that Savior, Jesus Christ, he is ours. And so I I simply wanted to give you an overview theologically that, yes, sin devastates, destroys. And yet God, while he has to deal with his people, there are consequences of sin. Captivity came for the Israelites. Uh, Captivity came for the northern kingdom, Israel, southern kingdom, Judah, and uh, and in that, God promised, though, a Messiah will come. So as you read these minor prophets this week, my prayer is that you see the gospel of Jesus Christ. He died, was buried, and rose again so that we might be saved. And my prayer is, my prayer point for this week is that God would give us a prophetic voice to point people to their own sin. Without Christ, we are sinful, wretched creatures. But in Christ, we are now saved by grace through faith in Christ for his glory. I love you. I'm praying for you. Stakes in the ground.